Welcome to This Week in Local, a Locology podcast featuring lively conversations about the local digital ecosystem, hosted by Locology analysts Mike Bolin and Charles Lachlan. Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Week in Local. I'm Charles Lachlan, your co-host, joined by your other co-host, Mike Bolin. Mike, how's it going? Hi, Charlie. Doing well. Great. So this week, we're going to change things up a little bit. Uh, Mike, uh, you and I part of the onstage crew last week at the L23 conference, Locology's annual conference. We were in Coronado Bay, California. And despite our best efforts, it was a great event. And for this episode, we thought it would be fun to share a few short pieces of audio from the conference and then talk a little bit about what they mean, where they fit in the broader context of what we cover and so on. Um, so do you want to set up the first clip, Mike? Why don't we get right into it? Yeah, yeah. So the first clip... Um is from Chad Richard, who many of our listeners know is SVP of BizDev and CorpDev at Yelp. Um, and he said something interesting on stage, which is sort of a um, a formidable but yet forgotten topic in the sort of locology world, which is the concept of self-serve, SMB self-serving in both account sales and account management. Um, so here is Chad talking about that. So this sort of digital acceleration of the SMB was pretty well-timed for us because in 2019, we were really focused on driving self-serve through yeah. SMBs. Um, so on the product side, we had really developed a lot of technology and product experiences to make it really easy for SMB owners to kind of get in there, buy ads, manage ads, see how they're doing, see the results of these decisions they made. And our go-to-market team, and we really transitioned to what we called rep-assisted self-serve. And so instead of a, a Yelp salesperson calling you up and trying to sell Yelp to you, the whole idea was really to get you to log in yeah. and buy Yelp yourself and start building that habit once again. And this, this, so the timing was actually great for us as we saw more engagement with business owners updating their profile listings and responding to reviews, having them take that next step on the platform where they're buying ads, managing ads. That cohort of advertisers is our best retaining advertisers too. So it's been a, a really great success story for us. We moved from about 3,000 local sales rep down to about 2,000 local sales reps. So we've dramatically decreased the number of people we have selling. Meanwhile, we've been growing revenue every year as well. So yeah. it's it's been a nice transition. So uh, interesting, interesting quote from Chad. Like I said, a, um, you know, sort of a, a, a previously prevalent topic in, in the sort of locology, local commerce world. Um, that sort of, you know, I'm not sure if you agree in terms of just anecdotally, it seems like it's kind of died down, but Chad sort of reinvigorated this topic. Um, and, and to sort of pan back for context, the overall discussion in this panel Chad was sitting on is about the sort of new SMB, right? The evolution of the SMB, the thought being that there's been an evolutionary path for a while. And, and that's, you know, generational. It's sort of the the turnover of SMBs as uh, older ones retire and newer digital natives sort of, you know, take over that same spot on Main Street. Uh, that was to some degree COVID accelerated. They're more digital native, all that good stuff. Uh, but one thing that came into that not only they're just sort of like digital affinities but they're sort of uh independence for lack of a better world they're, they're more inclined to self-serve and if you think about it 
that's really where a lot of companies like Yelp and any sort of local marketing and services providers want to get, right? I mean, the the cost of acquisition is obviously lower, margins are higher when you don't have that sort of that that sales expense uh, again cost of acquisition but i think another thing that is interesting that chad said not just like the unit economics of just greater margins but the retention piece i hadn't thought of that until chad said that that was a real sort of light bulb moment for a lot of people at the conference because it stands to reason if someone sort of is scratching an itch and 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 like kind of leaning forward and buying something as opposed to being called and sold on it, that sort of represents a greater need. It's a better demand signal that tends to lead to a more retentive customer. So I thought that was just really interesting from from Chad. Um, and and that, again, this is something where a lot, a lot of folks want to get and have always wanted to get, but it's sort of naturally happening just with that evolution of the SMB sort of savvy and, and digital independence. Yeah, I thought uh, I thought this is really interesting too. And he actually shared some some numbers. And uh, you know, having three thousand reps down to two thousand local reps, this sort of idea yeah. of this rep rep assisted self serve, which is a bit of an old idea. I mean, I, I hate to say it's an old idea. I mean, it's an idea we've kind of heard versions of over the years. And it sounds like they've yeah. actually implemented this, and and it's actually driving down sales headcount, even though they still have a significant sales force, I think still about 2000 people. And it just gets to that notion of uh, using self-serve to drive greater sales efficiency. And I think that's sort of been the holy grail in local for, for a long time. And he's actually offering evidence that it's working, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, I mean, he quantified it. You're absolutely right. They've both sort of reduced the sort of um, the, the sort of the sale, the sales force and increased the sort of go to market assisted sale like team and i'm not sure if that was like a one-to-one i I don't know actual you know what i gathered from from what he said was that there's been a uh net headcount reduction but i don't know if that's actually i mean that's what i got from listening to this i don't know if that's you know those numbers we don't have in front of us but that's the impression i got and that that it's driving a greater efficiency of of sales headcount and which has been where everyone wants to take this right I mean, now, not only is this just inherently interesting and the reason we're bringing it up, but for me, this is a call to, call to action. Just to, it was sort of like the light bulb that we're going to spend a lot more time sort of seeing others that sell local services, sell local marketing. That's the thrives of the world. That's a lot of companies. It's the right. whole agency world to see if they're actually seeing that, too. Like, I want to see if we can detect like a, yeah. a greater trend here. So I, I think this is a commitment. Right. I think this is something we're going to yeah. be covering. Uh, in the near term, just kind of taking a look at, well, who else is having experiences like this and what is their process and how are they using it and what are the outcomes? I mean, mm-hmm. Chad was very forthcoming and that was, it's always great when that happens on stage or on a podcast or in whatever format, if somebody shares actual uh, outcomes with some data uh, associated with them. So Mike, why don't we move on to the next clip? Um this is another one that you wanted to use. So why don't you set it up? Yeah. So this one comes from us, um, comes to us from uh, Joel Headley, who is VP of product at Rio SEO. Uh, he was actually on a panel that you moderated, Charlie. So you were right there as I well. Was, yeah. Um, 
and and this sort of hits the the AI box for, for us in this in this particular podcast. It was, of course, as you remember, a huge topic throughout the conference. So, uh, you know, our, our sort of cross section here wouldn't be complete without one at least one uh, AI clip. But I think um, Joel had a very good point, which you'll hear in a second. And also, not just AI, but another sort of buzzworthy topic these days, which is product led growth. Uh, so here's Joel Headley on that topic. I will tell you, there's a concept of product-led growth, right? Can I put something into the market that will get other people to start buying? And I think OpenAI did this brilliantly with ChatGTP. There was a lot of talk about, is this going to kill Google? They don't care about competing with Google Search. What they want is a bunch of vendors to start buying from them. And the way they did it was they created a consumer-grade product that every consumer is now talking about it. And now every business goes, wow, this is top of mind for buyers as a consumer. How are we going to implement that? So they took this idea where Gmail was a consumer product and how do we turn that into G Suite and a workplace app that took five years for Google to implement and condensed it down into a week by launching a consumer-grade app that now had, they already had the business model between selling their APIs and selling their content, and they were ready to go immediately. So I think like when you think about how you deliver to the market, sometimes betas are appropriate, but sometimes having a really good focused knowing who your customer is going to be, and despite paying 20 bucks a month or whatever it is, the individual users are not OpenAI's customers. So, uh, Charlie, um, his quote is interesting for a few reasons, and I'll, I'll take this sort of opportunity for like a shameless back padding because we've we've been talking about this for a while on this podcast and in other places that the business model for companies like OpenAI are, are this concept of B2B to C. Their direct customer is not the end user. It is the consumer brands of the world. So think of Bank of America, you know, needing to have a chat bot. Um, that their customers can then use for various customer service and support functions. Um, now, what, and that's not a new concept. I think Joel sort of validated that for us. But what's new, and I think what's interesting about his quote, is they were so brilliant in their sort of product-led growth go-to-market strategy that they sort of seeded the demand for their customer, which is, again, the bank of the back of America's of the world, by going like an end run straight to consumers, launching a consumer direct-to-consumer product to sort of seed that demand. Consumers got so amped up on this and it started this sort of you know wave that we've all experienced over the last few months that it, sh it shot up the priority list and the product roadmaps of all of those brands. So they sort of, right. they, they seeded the demand for their own market by doing that end run to the customer, which is sort of diabolically brilliant. Um, so that was what I thought was interesting in terms of just yet another sort of new and an aha moment that I heard right. at the conference. What do you think, Charlie? I, I think the product like growth angle is interesting. And I think we've talked, we have talked about that before. Um, and I think it happened so fast and just so dramatically that I'm not sure everyone necessarily saw the product -led angle yeah. to it. You know, it was just the, the uptake was so dramatic and so way past what anyone has experienced in terms of adoption in such a short so much adoption in such a short time that i think maybe it just kind of blew past people's uh awareness in some in some yeah. sense uh, but the idea yeah get the consumer to basically push the b2b adoption was interesting and i think very effective uh, and i and think joel, joel nailed like, it yeah yeah 
Yeah. And it's sort of like, you know, not only I'm, I think I use the word diabolical, but it's also like deceptively simple and not necessarily yeah. new. I mean, these are just sort of like standard age old, like B-school principles. It's sort of a variation on a lost leader, essentially. Mm -hmm. um, and he mentioned other examples, you know, Gmail, Google has done it with like all of their free products and then just right. kind of then creating an enterprise version. Um, right. so, but it's interesting to see it sort of play out in today's version of that. And I think it just holds some interesting lessons for any folks that are working on a go-to-market plan or, or a product roadmap, uh, to consider this sort of, you know, well, it's going to, it's, 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 this will be taught in business schools, but by, yeah. by robot professors in the future. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So why don't we just, uh, we'll get into the next thing we wanted to talk about, which is. A little bit of a different topic, not a little bit, well, pretty much a completely different topic, and that is uh, kind of the future of work, more broadly speaking. And what we're about to hear is a little clip from um, Howard Lerman, who spoke on the afternoon of the second day of the conference. Howard's a well-known figure, uh, founder of Yext, left Yext to found a company called Rome, and he offered a very compelling demo of Rome, which he calls the Cloud HQ. It's very much a future of work uh, startup that started up last year, I guess. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of people at the conference who are room users and a lot of them were sort of brought into the demo. That was a little gimmicky, but it worked, I think. And, um, anyway, what we're going to hear is something that was kind of, it was kind of a fun moment of the conference, but it also led to a very serious and interesting response. So I, after Howard spoke, you were doing a Q and a with him. I kind of stood up and kind of, was a little cheeky and asked a question about, you know, he once said remote work sucks. He posted that on LinkedIn. That was like right in the heart of the pandemic. I kind of, I brought that to his attention. I'm sure he hadn't forgotten about it. And uh, so how do you feel about this now, essentially? And, you know, okay, that was a little snarky on my part, but the, his answer was actually quite um, deep, I thought. And let's hear it. Let's roll the tape and then we'll talk about it on the other side. Look, Yext has a really big office downtown in Manhattan. It's very expensive. You can, you can estimate how much we pay in rent because you can see rent showing up as deferred revenue on the balance sheet, which has to be, it's a liability, sorry, liability on the balance sheet, which you have to do now. It's 10, more than you know, $15 million a year in rent. And so you have this beautiful building in the best area, and you have this uh, free food and great benefits and dinner and all this stuff and you still can't get people to come back. And then all of a sudden, people start saying, well, can I work from this place or that place? And I initially said no, and I resisted this. I, much like Jamie Dimon to this very day continues to resist this. Now, I just want to be clear, I am not a absolutist when it comes to remote work. I still think companies have to get together. I still think the best collaboration is in person. I just think the reality is, for any company that's more than 10 people, by the time you begin to scale, you're going to be distributed and you're going to have people everywhere. And so you might as well set things up from the get-go in a cloud headquarters, then spend $10 million a year on a lease. Mike, a couple of things jumped out at me from this. One is that um, kind of he had, he said out loud something many CEOs went through, you know, sort of in this immediate post-pandemic era where they had these gleaming offices many of them had multi-year leases millions of dollars in annual cost and uh you know they're looking at this in terms of their balance sheet and you know in a state of panic perhaps or near panic most ceos would not 
keep their jobs for long if they openly panicked about things. But certainly underneath, deep inside, there was a sense of panic about the cost and how do we deal with this? And he, you know, he kind of admitted that that's what was his immediate uh, driving his immediate response to the pandemic. And let's get these people back in this fancy office I've built for them and got all this free food and all this stuff. And let's, let's come back to work. Let's come back to the old normal. And then it, it eventually dawned on him that the, the old normal is gone. Okay. And, you know, that was a folly. And, you know, even p- people like Jamie Dimon are fighting this battle unsuccessfully. And so he accepted that the world of work had changed permanently. And uh, he, then pivoted, started a company to address what he considered the new normal, which is he calls distributed work, which is basically a combination of in-office and out in you know your living rooms in Idaho or Florida or wherever you are. And uh, I tend to agree with that that kind of is the new world of work and that the in-office, 100% in-office model is dead. He acknowledges that and he's building a company around it. I thought the clip encapsulated that in a very candid way. And that's why I thought it was really interesting to share. And it also kind of frames this whole notion that kind of this, I think you used the word remote tech uh, at some point during the conference or in your conversation with Howard. I thought that's a good way to frame this sort of emerging set of uh, technologies that's kind of, you know, for everything from read AI to weight room to Rome and a bunch of others, I'm sure out there and more to come. Uh, It's sort of a new space that we're covering. And Howard was right up there on stage showing it to us. Yeah, I uh, I liked this because it was sort of a refreshing moment of honesty and humanism from a CEO. Um, and and when you look at all of those CEOs that were looking at the, their balance sheets in that era, as you framed up, I think th- there was none more sort of pronounced than Howard's situation because they had just bought that building. And I think the word used was glistening or something like these. <laughs> that that building, I'm not yeah. sure if you've been there. It is quite impressive. So they just like went through this massive investment and then suddenly they couldn't use it. Right. Um, it was fresher so, so for them part- perhaps than for others. But many, many yeah. companies went through the same thing. A lot of people did. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But it, yeah. Um, the other thing I like is Howard's characterization of and and this reflects his evolved thinking it's no longer about sort of like remote work or at the office or even hybrid it's sort of a a just more nuanced principle which is which is what he calls uh distributed work right um so it's even if it's a company that that goes fully back to work or doesn't i mean every company has a different variation on their particular hybrid model in the post-covid world but regardless it's about having companies that are spread out whether they're in the office or at home nonetheless they are spread out. And that is what makes Rome, I think, particularly interesting just in terms of its addressable market. I mean, if you're broadening the addressable market to that definition of a distributed workforce, that that covers like, you know, the entire Fortune 500 and beyond. So right. I like that framing of a distributed workforce. Like you have a headquarters, you got satellite offices. It has nothing to do with who's working from home or not, no matter what, you're spread out. Right. No, yeah. And I think he's acknowledging that there's an in-office component to the distributed work. It could be yeah. 10%, 20%. It could be three days a week. It could be five days, probably not five days a week, but it, it, but it, there is an in-office component and a remote component. People call that hybrid. I think, I think hybrid is over, in, there's a Venn diagram and hybrid and distributed yeah. overlap significantly, but there is a distinction between the two. And I think it's that 
wherever you are, you're not in the same place. So you need to find at least the principle behind Rome is that you need to find a sort of organizing principle around that distributed environment. And yeah. and and we will probably cover this in a different discussion because I think it deserves its own discussion. But I think the UX that he particularly showed really sort of um, I think scratches that itch and it has sort of a sort of spatial orientation. Yeah. Like the screen is literally set up as just different sort of like I'm in my office it's a no, and it's right. over here. It's almost like a video game. And to talk to you, I drag my avatar over to your office and then boom, we're in a meeting. So that's sort of the, the UX sleekness. And yeah. again, that's a different topic to get more granular into the actual product. But I thought that it does scratch that itch for that, you know, distributed workforce. Um, again, to use the the new buzzword. Yeah. Um, and, and, and yeah, you know, even pre pandemic, you always had maybe some satellite offices, you had some, you know, traveling, sales guys and girls who are on the road i mean so i think it's it's just it's broader than yes than but what we normally consider remote work so i think i'm going to start conditioning myself to use that term instead uh, and i'm sure howard will like I, that. it works for me i i find that term uh, on point for what we do I mean, do we know anyone in who are and we're knowledge workers i guess best i never i like that term about as much as i like the term content creator but um we are knowledge workers. Do you know anyone who's a knowledge worker isn't in something that could easily be described as a distributed work environment? Yeah, I don't. Exactly. Everyone is. No. So this is the new normal. And he has found, the, I think, the right term for it. And now he's trying to build the operating system for it, essentially. We'll see how well it works. So far, so good, it seems. Anyway, we, we all know Howard is uh, one of the great pitchmen of all time. So... And yeah. he's doing a very masterful job of pitching Rome. And it was a really very compelling uh, demo, I have to say. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Mike, seems like a good place as any to end this. Why don't you read us out? Yeah, thanks, Charlie. And thanks, everyone, for listening. This has been This Week in Local. Stay tuned every week for more episodes. You can find the show on all major podcast networks and find out more at locology.com. Please also subscribe, like, and comment. So I'm Mike Boland with Charles Lachlan. Our producer is Dara Sweat. So thanks for listening and see you next week. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Locology's This Week in Local with Mike Boland and Charles Lachlan. Be sure to subscribe for more.